Welcome to the Neander Art Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Howley. From the caves and rock shelters of Europe and the Near East, new evidence is emerging that the ancient people we now know as Neanderthals did not simply scrape by and live in a delicate balance between ape and man, but surrounded themselves with creations of art and culture that we used to think were the exclusive domain of modern humans. Join us in conversation with the experts who are making these discoveries and revolutionizing our ideas about the world of Neander art. We're talking today with Davika Radovcic from the Croatian Natural History Museum. Her presentation at the Neander Art Conference was on the surface analysis of the Krapina white-tailed eagle talons. Krapina is a site in Croatia. It's been a famous Neanderthal site for a long time. Davrika, what can you tell us uh, about the background of the site? Well, the site was excavated a really long time ago. It was first visited by our famous paleontologist in 1899. And considering such an early date of discovery, it was amazing how well uh, he excavated the material and that he immediately, like the first time he visited the site in 1899, recognized this as a site of a fossil man. And what he called the uh, first Homo sapiens but uh, he did uh, find similarities with other Neanderthal findings that were discovered thus far. So it was excavated since uh, 1899 until uh, 1905, and it was completely excavated. There was a, like a reference column, stratigraphic column left by Igorjanovic, but uh, unfortunately, because the site was so popular in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, amateur excavators completely removed this uh, column. So uh, all we have left now, and it is amazing collection, it's uh, here in the Croatian Natural History Museum, and it is still the world's uh, largest Neanderthal uh, collection. So it contains all the human material, all the Neanderthal material, all the artifacts that uh, Dragutin, Gorjanovic, Krambrier collected, and also all the faunal remains. Do they know how many individual Neanderthals are represented at the site? We think that it is a... It might be up to around 80 individuals. Of course, like uh, all this material is, is very fragmented. So we have, let's say, around 900 elements, 900 remains of, of Neanderthals, and a lot of them are, are teeth. And based on the teeth, this 80, around 80 individuals are estimated, but uh, we, don't have, uh, we don't have like complete skeletons. So we have bits and pieces of, of, uh, of many of them. Over how long of a period were they using this site? So what we know from, from the stratigraphy is that the, the site was uh, sedimented in, in very, geologically speaking, very short uh, uh, time span. It, it's around some 10,000 uh, years. It's a stratigraphic column of around uh, 10 meters. And we have, and it is divided into eight uh, layers, eight uh, stratigraphic units. And we have uh, Neanderthal bones coming from all of those units except the lowest one. But even from the lowest one, we have uh, remains of, of animals with uh, anthropogenic cut marks. So we know that uh, even then Neanderthals were visiting the, the site. The whole unit is dated to around 130,000 years before present with, you know, a span of 10,000 years around, around that date. I love thinking of that. It's a relatively short span over the course of 130,000 years, but it's our entire like Neolithic through modern era for uh, modern humans. Yeah. 
So at this site, there's obviously a lot of interesting things and you've got the whole collection in the museum. It's been there for a hundred years. And it was just a few years ago that these eagle talons really stuck out and caught your attention. What, What made you guys look at the talons again? I started working here some six years ago and as part of a normal... It's, it's a normal procedure that when you start as a, as a new curator of the collection, you have to go through the whole collection and, and make sure that uh, everything is in the right place and that, uh, you know, just to check everything up. So when I was I was going through it, it was a, a great opportunity for me because, you know, although I was reading a lot about Krapina, I, I heard all my life a lot about Krapina and all the material. Uh, I never had the chance before to, to hold every piece of, of the Krapina collection in my hands and uh, when I came to the animal remains but specifically to the bird remains I couldn't believe that Gorjanovic excavating in you know end of 19th century beginning of 20th century collected even such small pieces and brought them here in, in, in the museum so luckily just before I was going through the collection back then there was this new article published by the by the group from from Ferrara by Marco Perezani and his colleagues uh, stating that you know Neanderthals were like uh, selecting uh, specific uh, types of feathers to probably uh, you know adorn themselves with with that, and that was amazing to me. You know that that resonated in my head, and I was looking through the bird specimens that we have in the collection, and I noticed uh, on one of the eagle remains, I noticed uh, to me clearly anthropogenic uh, cut marks. And I couldn't believe, you know, and, and, you know, it is different to say Ifumana, you know, the site where um, Marco Perezani found this uh, selection of, of feathers is a site that is 80,000 years younger than Krapina. So, you know, I, I called my colleagues and, and we looked through the all the eagle remains and it turned out that, you know, there were eight talons also there. And they that they show some kind of anthropogenic, uh, you know, uh, modifications on them. So it, it was amazing to to realize that uh, you know for some reason they probably did collect this and that did use this. And you could tell that they used them, as you said, because of the anthropogenic cut marks. So that's kind of the telltale slices that a stone tool would make in removing the flesh from the bone or releasing a tendon or something. Yeah, so we know that they were like uh, removing the talons from the foot of the eagle when it was still attached by the by the tendons. But uh, also the the talons show uh, some kind of use wear on them, so, you know, some kind of polishing and probably from the wear, uh, wearing them together somehow. And uh, we think that this is the reason why why we can say that they were uh, carrying them around some some sort of uh, adornment of a type. And so now some of these smaller clues that you're finding through the microscopes are seeming to back up this idea that the talons were kept together or bound somehow as some kind of ornament. What are those clues that you're mm-hmm. finding? So after we published uh, our original paper on the talons, we noticed uh, afterwards, and we were also inspired by by, by discussing this with the co- colleagues, we, we actually looked even more closely <laughs> at the talons. And we uh, within one of the cut marks, we actually found under some kind of uh, film, you know, that is preserving, we, we found a little fiber that was within the cut mark preserved. 
and uh, we managed to we managed to analyze it uh, non-destructively. It was done by our colleagues in in Trieste at the synchrotron facility using this infrared beam, and uh, they said that it's a, a collagen fiber. They know that it's an old fiber because uh, helix is showing some kind of decay. So that shows that uh, that this fiber is old. So because it is within the cut mark, this can indicate some kind of way of, of binding of these together. And also we notice some kind of traces of, of uh, uh, minerals, of, of uh, colors, actually. So we, we notice traces of, of black and, and red, and we also analyzed it uh, in, in a synchrotron facility. And uh, for the red stain, it is uh, ochre. And the other black stains are manganese, so we are still uh, careful about saying this uh, too strongly. Um, there is ochre and there is manganese. You know, when we have ochre and manganese uh, used uh, by modern humans, we immediately, you know, think, okay, this is uh, some kind of uh, evidence of symbolic behavior. And so, but the thing is that ochre and, and uh, manganese can can occur on, on these kind of uh, in these kind of sediments naturally. So we still, this is one more step we need to do in the future, we still need to analyze completely uh, the talents in a way that is very complicated to, to do, but we, are, we, we will find a way. But just to, to prove that this was done, that, you know, that this pigment, that, that these colors were, were, were put there on, on these talents intentionally, this is, this is still in progress. So not only do we see that the talons themselves were being carefully selected and then used for something, kept together and worn uh, in some way, showing the, the polishing that you see over the years, but that they were not just by themselves, that they were bound with something. That alone shows uh, you know, a more elaborate use of materials than I think we have too much other evidence for with the Neanderthals. Do we see them using you know, like sinews or tendons or leather to to bind other objects to make kind of complex tools. Yeah, so we know we know from the work done at other uh, Neanderthal sites and experimental work that they had the knowledge of very complex technologies. So some kind of uh, binding technology, some kind of gluing or hefting stone tools into some kind of wooden spears or you know some kind of tools like that. So we know that you know they were knowledgeable about uh, making things, but we think for now that this shows that uh, they were using this kind of knowledge also to to do something that didn't have only you know function to survive. So I think that this adds a, a different perspective and a different kind of re reconstruction of the complexity of their life. How do you think that these uh, discoveries with the use of the talents fits into the overall picture that we're seeing of Neanderthal art and culture that's been emerging over the last few years? Bob, I mean, it has been really... <laughs> A few very exciting years for Neanderthals, you know. So I think in the within the last uh, ten years, I think uh, uh, there has been a lot of uh, you know new evidence, amassing evidence that uh, that really point to completely complex behavior of Neanderthals, and this this goes from you know hunting, what kind of game they were hunting. We know now that uh, they were like selecting different kind of plant uh, sources for their diet they knew how to use medicinal plants so you know they they were surviving they were really successful in 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 
using their environment, but especially regarding culture and art, you know, this last few years, and especially with the, the new dates for the and the association of the of the of the cave paintings with Neanderthals, it it has been really ex- exciting times uh, for appreciation of Neanderthal complexity. I think. And so having all of these different experts talking about all of these latest findings gathered together at the Neander Art Conference, uh, did you have any conversations that are now going to inform your own work going forward? Oh, of course. I mean, whenever you listen to colleagues' presentation or in some discussion, there's always some kind of uh, new idea. And I mean, this is why our field is, is going forward. It's great to hear, you know, something simple that you didn't think of because you're too much thinking about something else. <laughs> In, in in whatever question you have, you know, it really open opens your eyes. So I really appreciated the presentation of Kathy. Kathy did her work on a group uh, in Ethiopia that lives in the highlands and they regard stone tools as uh, almost as a living being. So when, when they procure like uh, raw material for stone tools, they refer to this raw material as fetus, you know, and then when they are done using the stone tool they actually bury them so they regard (laughs) stone tools as as living beings but what is very interesting to me is that specific families within the this uh, group they're actually always using specific colors uh, of of tools so they can recognize which tool were produced uh, by their family based on the color i don't usually work with stone tools but we have uh, a lot in our collection and there is something about the color you know but uh, we never asked the questions about this before. So this presentation makes me want to go to our uh, tool collection and, and look whether there is some kind of a selection in, in colors. So with all of the new discoveries that we've made and new perspectives that we're gaining from ethnographic research, like you described, we kind of want to see more Neanderthal material and judge it this way. Some people are finding this new material in the ground afresh. Some people like you are finding them in our existing museum collections. What does that say to you about the value of museum collections? That says a lot about the importance of of keeping uh, what what we have, you know. And although it was really well described in 1906 in this monograph by Gorjanovic Kramberger, the original excavator, uh, it is amazing how much this collection is still giving. So this is something that we need to learn and a good message, you know, why museums are important, why keeping collections uh, are important, because they're still answering new questions that we have uh, in our field. And they're like showing us a lot about behavior and past life of Neanderthals. With every new discovery, you know, we revisit this collection. So it's really invaluable. Well, it's also invaluable for us to get to talk to people like you doing such interesting work. Thanks so much, Darika, for joining us today. And good luck with the rest of your research. And thanks for being part of the Neander Art Conference. Thank you. The conversations featured on the Neander Art Podcast stem from the presentations and ideas shared at the inaugural Neander Art Conference held at the campus Luigi Einaudi at the University of Turin in Italy. The conference was organized by CESMAP with the scientific partnership of the International Union of Prehistoric and Protohistoric Sciences and the International Federation of Rock Art Organizations.